Well, guys, I'm back. Um, Uncensored Wizard has had a false start or two, but is something I'm still looking forward to creating content for. And that is sort of the purpose of this episode. In this episode, I'm uh, hoping to answer the question, why Wizard, or more particularly, why Uncensored Wizard? And uh, in the meantime, we'll probably answer some questions some of you have been asking about me and about this project over the past year. Hope you enjoy. All right. So um, if you've clicked here to get a little insight into where I'm at on my journey as a minister and as a spiritual leader, just hang on. Uh, I'm going to get to that in just a few minutes. I'm recording this episode um, because I've, I've wanted to, to, to start creating content for this project for, for some time, ever since I started it, two years ago. I was a little bit premature, I think, in launching this. Um, I uh, had some, um, some unrealistic expectations for myself, some unrealistic expectations for my audience. <clears throat> also, wasn't quite prepared for, um, for the work it took to do a lot of the editing and, and content creating at the same time when I was starting my real estate business. Um, so I kind of had a false start a couple of years ago with Uncensored Wizard and um, definitely, you know, questioned whether I wanted to continue with it or not. But over the years, I, I've, I've really wanted to create content under this under this title. One of the reasons I haven't, though, is because I've, I've just always struggled to, to find a niche or a theme, you know, to, to really put this under. Um, you know, I thought about, you know, talking about the intersections of like business, philosophy, religion, psychology, spiritualities in there. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, fitting myself into a niche is just is just very hard to do. And and every time I I tried to do that and tried to think of how I would fit this content into a niche, I would I would either, you know, determine, well, I'm going to find one thing and stick with it, or I'm going to have multiple different podcasts about different topics, multiple YouTube channels about different topics. Um, but even then, anytime I, I feel like I have to create content for a certain niche or, or that sticks with a certain theme, I start to feel cognitive dissonance in myself, a dissonance between my truest self, which is who I'm striving to be at this time and age in my life. Um, so there's cognitive dissonance between my truest self and the person I feel like I'll have to pretend to be uh, to stay within a certain niche. And, and this internal struggle of, of not wanting to um, feel the pressure of fitting inside a certain niche or sticking with a certain theme um, is kind of the, is the same struggle, not kind of, but is the same struggle that prompted the uncensored part of this of this project and I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little later so you know so this cognitive dissonance I would feel in in you know in in the um, triggered by the responsibility of having to fit myself into one sort of niche has has been an obstacle because I'm all over the place <laughs> and um, you know I have ADHD and I'm I'm mentally all over the place as much as I like to pretend like I'm not, and uh, you know, people might look at me and think, "Well, I'm doing all these things. I run a business. I help clients. I, um, I'm doing a podcast. 
and hopefully am consistent with it this time. Um, but the truth is, you know, that comes from a lot of discipline and uh, a lot of discipline, discipline that comes and goes. Um, so my mind is all over the place and just my interest, not just, you know, physically and biologically, my mind kind of all over the place. Um, just who I am as a person. I, I, um, I'm 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 an explorer and I'm always into different things. You know, this week I I might really be into psychology and and next week I might be really into Kabbalah and mysticism. Um, this week I might be really interested in you know Franklin Franklin D Roosevelt and and, uh, and next week I I might be interested in you know Cleopatra. This week I might be a theist and next week I might be thinking that I'm an atheist. Um, I'm just kind of all over the place. I never know with myself and. Um, to set that set that expectation for myself and for this content, it just stifles my creativity. So, um, what I do know though is that despite what I'm focused on, despite what I'm currently interested in, despite what journey I find myself on, I still have this drive to to share that with you, to maybe give you some of the things I'm learning that may help you uh, along your journeys. So, I want to uh, I want to invite you to come alongside me as I journey. And as I learn, and as I, um, as I discuss and and, and kind of rehash and process things that uh, that are interesting to me, and I want to invite, uh, I'm hoping rather that you'll invite me to come alongside your journey, some, and you know maybe through this project and through these podcasts we can collaborate with one another and uh, and help one another out along the way. So if I were to kind of give a theme to this channel uh, to this podcast. Um, you know, the, the, the theme of this channel is me and my mission for this podcast. You know, if I need a mission, I, I think they say, you know, you, it's one of the things that bogged me down was you need a theme, you need a niche, you need a mission statement. Um, my mission is really just to be true to the name Uncensored Wizard. That, that's really it. And I know you may be wondering what that is, you know, that name. And um, it is kind of weird. I, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a name I came up with a couple of years ago. Actually, before that, I thought if I ever do anything, this is what I want to do it under anything outside of the church, which is, you know, where I spend a lot of time. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. So my mission is to be true to the name Uncensored Wizard. And um, I think you probably need to know where that name comes from. So why Uncensored? For over 20 years, I gave my voice to the church in the service of God. My voice, one of my most sacred commodities. I told you I love to talk. Um, I like to share. And my voice, the way I share it, is very, very important to me. And for 20 years, I, uh, I faithfully gave my voice to the church in the service of God. I was a Pentecostal preacher, um, which is, you know, if you're going to be a preacher, I feel like that's one of the coolest kinds of preachers to be, is a Pentecostal one. And, uh, you know, one reason why it's cool is because you get a lot of freedom as a Pentecostal preacher. You get to be edgy, and, you know, our preaching is very in-your-face and challenging, and that's sort of expected. You know, Pentecostal preachers, we, uh, we, we're to be unnerving a little bit compared to maybe some others. So, for me, that was cool because that gave me a lot of freedom to sort of explore the edges of beliefs, and Pentecostalism in general is sort of an edgy-type um, Christian tradition, you know, it's newer, it's younger, its theology is still kind of being formed, 
Uh, they speak in tongues. They dance, you know, and uh, together. They're one of the first churches that integrated blacks and whites in worship, allow women to preach and teach and prophesy. So, you know, that was, for me, that really fit in a lot of ways. It allowed me to be edgy, which is something I like to be, not for the sake of shock and awe, although that's definitely part of my personality to some degree. Um, But for me, it's more about exploration, and you can explore if you're not allowed to get to the edges and look over and occasionally tiptoe over to explore. And that's how I learn is I'm an explorer. That's, That's how I, and not just learn, but that's how I enjoy life. So, you know, I liked the fact that Pentecostal ministry allowed me to be edgy, but within all religions, and I'm going to speak specifically about my background, within the Pentecostal church, um, you, you can be edgy, but there are edges to the edginess, <laughs> okay? Um, there, there are these edges that are very clearly defined by doctrine, and uh, I know some people distinguish between doctrine and dogma. I kind of use those words interchangeably because for me, in my experience, I've never really seen doctrine that didn't become dogma. And I've never within the church really found dogma that didn't have some sort of um, doctrinal influence. So you have to stop at the edges of your edginess, and those edges are often defined by doctrine or dogma. You know, and this is true even in the context of so-called liberal arts Christian schools. Um, in fact, my alma mater, Lee University, I just heard this week uh, a young minister who I could have told you this was coming, a guy about my age, is uh, on a crusade now to make sure they get out all the liberal teachers at, at Lee University. Of course, he wouldn't say he's on that mission, but he, he is. Um, he's too narrow-sighted to see it. So, you know, they're going through some stuff there because even in that setting, um, there's a lot of freedom and encouragement to be edgy and to be cutting edge, but you have to know where those edges are and you have to know where to cut it off. You have to stop at the edges of those edginess, excuse me, the edges of your edginess and that edgy, those edges are clearly defined by doctrine and dogma. So it's true in the church, it's true in the church-operated schools, which is where I gained my education, also taught in those schools. Uh, You have to be careful what you say and what you do. Um, You can explore and discuss ideas outside of some boxes in that world, but there are some boxes you can just never break out of in the church. You're just not allowed to, else you're not church, you're heretic. Your other, and um, you know those boxes come in different forms. There, there are creedal boxes, right? So churches have creeds. Some of them, some creeds date back very early in church history. And you know, as you speak and as you teach and as you minister, you can break out of some boxes, but you can't. You can't transgress the creeds, right? And uh, so that's a box you have to stay within. Um, sometimes those boxes are more theistic in nature or theological in nature, okay? Uh, so, you know, you take uh, some of your more free church traditions like the Baptist Church or the Pentecostal Church, which are the two main denominations I've been involved with, um, primarily the Pentecostal Church for me. Uh, but in those settings, there's not a lot of creedal um, doctrine, but there's a lot of theological 
dogma, right? And so you have to be careful to know those because sometimes it's not clearly articulated. It might be quite ambiguous in the doctrinal statements, but it is certainly dogmatically practiced, certain types of um, theology. You know, for instance, monotheism. If you're a Christian and you're not monotheist, you're outside of the box. Um, so there are these boxes. And then beyond that, you know, you have these sort of um, uh, invisible boxes, the creedal and theistic boxes. Uh, some of the boxes you can tangibly see within Christianity are, are the legal codes. This is another box you have to stay within. You know, in the Pentecostal church, uh, it really doesn't matter what truth you bring to them in the pulpit if they find out you, uh, you have a glass of wine when you get home. So there's a legal code there. you got to stay within that box, right? So not only do you have to say the right things, you have to do all the right things. So on the one hand, we're supposed to be speakers of truth, right? Which is a very edgy thing to be and to do. Um, so we're, you know, we're expected as preachers, especially in the Pentecostal church, to be edgy and to be speakers of truth, but only within the... Um, only within within the parameters of truth that had already been decided upon. Truth only interpreted one way, or truth interpreted in ways that do not challenge central beliefs. And by that I mean, within the Pentecostal church, there's all these scholars who claim to be progressive, um, but they're not. Because at the end of the day, they won't challenge some very central beliefs that are present in their theology. Uh, or in their church's theology. So I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you are a pastor or a public educator or a teacher or a public speaker or, or even a politician for that matter, uh, you could probably relate to, the, to, to what I'm saying here. You know, the, this feeling of constantly, um, constantly being encouraged to say something poignant, but also knowing you can't speak freely, right? So you need to be creative, but you have to make sure that within your creativity, you don't trespass certain expectations and certain standards, and for me, it's just it's just something I'm I, I just got tired of um, of doing, you know, because in those settings when you know when you really have something poignant to say, <laughs> and you know that if you say it freely, it's going to challenge things you cannot challenge, whether it's creedal theology or you know uh, the theology within the tradition itself or or legal code. You know, maybe you you want to say something that if you say it the way you want to say it. Um, you know, maybe you want to use fuck or a cuss word or something like that, right? Like, you know, there's this, you can't just go up and say that at, at a church meeting in, in most, most cases. So what you have to do is you have to take those poignant ideas, take those aggressive type words and speech, and you have to, uh, you have to save it for a strategic moment, right? It just becomes a manip manipulation, you have truth you want to share, but you're like, well, I can't say that now. I literally had leaders in my Pentecostal denomination tell me that, you know, say, hey, I know the church is going to have to talk about this, but now is not the time because they knew truth was to be spoken, but they could not say it freely. It had to be used strategically and manip manipulatively. And so, you know, I just got tired of walking that tightrope. Um, I was exiled from my denomination. Now, they will not admit this, but I was. I was blackballed, you know, not physically, but in every sense. Um, I was exiled from my denomination, wasn't asked to speak of things anymore or to help with things anymore or to be part of things anymore. 
uh, because I was I was a little bold while I was in seminary. But my goodness, I was in seminary. I was in my twenties, y'all. Um, actually, no, that was this was this would have been early thirties. I forget. I took a break between. <laughs> between starting my education and finishing, you know, so, but I'm in this still, I'm still in this really pivotal time in which I'm, I'm discovering new ideas. Um, and so, yeah, I was a little bold. Everyone is when they go through seminary, I think. And then later, you know, it became clear that leaving that denomination, that Pentecostal denomination was, was the best for me. And it was the best for the church I pastored at that time, who also as a church in that denomination kind of outgrew their time there. And so, uh, I, you know, I finally had the revelation that um, that that kind of censured environment is is just not for me. It's intolerable for me. I don't get excited about it after I've exhausted the edges, which I did. You know, I gave twenty years to ministry and to study of the scriptures, and I went to college. I earned two degrees, earned a bachelor's and a master's, both with focuses in uh, biblical studies and pastoral studies. Uh, and besides that, I just, you know, I loved it and d- dove in, but I got to edges that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, boundaries I couldn't couldn't step over and uh, and couldn't talk about and couldn't process. And so that kind of censorship was just something I decided was intolerable for me. I also, you know, just want to say on a broader scale, I think that that's intolerable to the world right now, which is why I do believe Christianity is on a, uh, is, is on a time clock in terms of its relevancy. I'd, if it hasn't already expired... Um, and I'm sure I'll talk about that more in this podcast. But uh, so I left. I left the church and um, leadership. And I, I, I was going to continue going to church, but I actually don't right now. It's not out of the question, but uh, it's not something that I'm, I'm doing right now. It's just too narrow of a playground for me. I lost interest. Um, and I'm an external processor. I need spaces to explore and to collaborate that are not censored, okay? And that's why I use the word uncensored in the title of this project. It's uncensored. This channel is uncensored. And it's not that I'm out to be shocking or extreme, although I can be and I'd like to be sometimes. It's definitely part of my personality. Uh, It's not so I can get on here and cuss a lot. You know, when people hear uncensored, that's what they think. You know, it's just about being edgy and shocking and cussing. that's that's not even what it's about either. Uh, I definitely do cuss a lot, so be prepared. Uh, but that that's not it. Um, you know, I do choose choose to do all those things and speak freely. But for me, the uncensored part of this project is is more about um, my mission to speak freely. And that when I say that's the mission I'm on, it's to live up to live up to the 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 true name of this podcast or the truest version of this podcast is. I want to speak freely. I'm no longer ordained. I'm no longer for hire. Uh, I, I no longer bear the burden of having to be an expert or claiming to be an expert. No, this is just me uh, on my channel, on, on living my life, sharing it with you, asking you to share some of your life with me on this medium and through this in an uncensored way. And I just, you know, I spoke censored for so many years, y'all. That's why this is important to me. It's important to me because for years, I dumbed my voice down to fit into boxes that I no longer care to fit into. And I realize that's going to upset some of you who have known me in a pastoral capacity. Uh, You're going to realize that I do not believe the same things as you. 
uh, you're going to you're going to realize that I don't believe the same things I believed 10, 15, 20 years ago. I have changed. Of course, there's many things I still believe, and you might be surprised by that. So why wizard? So if my newfound candor doesn't upset you, I'm sure that the wizard image will, if it hasn't already. And maybe I'm just speaking to my Pentecostal peeps. You know, the, the tradition I was raised in, I remember being taught even that dice and cards were wrong. We didn't, we didn't even buy potpourri at one time because we were told that potpourri was cursed by witches before it went to the store. So we didn't bring it in our house. So you've probably seen the wizard image. It probably has been very discomforting to you. Uh, so why wizards? Well, wizards have always been my favorite characters and stories. Um, this originated <clears throat> with a couple of characters. In particular, a couple of wizards were very important to me in my childhood. Orko from Masters of the Universe and Merlin from uh, the Disney movie The Sword in the Stone. Uh, this was my first love of wizards, and you know, throughout uh, life, it's always been the wizard character that 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 I resonate with um, and that I identify with. You know, the the wizards are typically not the protagonist, except for Harry Potter. Um, but even in the Harry Potter stories, you you see his life is actually part of a greater narrative. So, wizards are, are typically not the protagonists, uh, but they come alongside the protagonist on their adventures. So, you have a protagonist who's on an adventure, and the wizards, they, they often come alongside the protagonist. And what I love about wizards is that they always appear in the story when, when a character is at an intersection, right? They're at a place where they need to need directions. Uh, a little asterisk here, a good, you know, good image of this is the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. He's at the intersection in the movie, not in the book, but in the movie, he stands at the intersection and, you know, he, he uh, tries to, um, without brains, direct uh, Dorothy. This is kind of what wizards do, and I bring him up because in the book, I actually think the Scarecrow is, is the true wizard archetype, which is why he ultimately, in the book, ends up being over the Emerald City. Spoiler alert. Um, so, after the fake wizard lives, the Scarecrow takes his throne which I think is fitting since he is actually, in a lot of ways, the, the wizard figure. But uh, wizards typically show up at intersections, okay? And they, they help the main character uh, find perspective and direction. And that is something I have found myself doing a lot in life as a pastor, as a friend, just as a person, even in business. This is something I enjoy, something I really feel built for. I like to I like to meet with people who are trying to work through those challenges and 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 bring my tools and my skill set and my insight to the table uh, in ways that might might help them. Something I enjoy doing. Something I really feel built for. Uh, another fascinating thing about wizards to me is that wizards draw from multiple disciplines. You know, um, wizards draw from magic, religion, philosophy, spirituality, literature, science, alchemy. Psychology, uh, did I mention philosophy? I think I did. Um, wizards are polymaths, right? They're multipotentialites. If you don't know what that is, there's a great TED talk on it. Multipotentialites. But this is what wizards are. And, you know, if you can imagine, um, if you've seen the Lord of the, Lord of the Rings, the movie, this is a great image for you. You know, Gandalf spewing wisdom 
and spinning tails at the same time, right? Um, and at the same time, all this is happening under the lights of his well-made fireworks. He's a scientist, he's a storyteller, he's a philosopher, among many other things. And that is another thing I identify with. I told you earlier, I'm kind of all over the place. <clears throat> and I'm interested in all kinds of things. And I draw from multi-disciplines. And um, I want to be able to do that freely now. Something I really couldn't do as freely when I was in the church because of those expectations. Another thing about wizards is that they move in and out of the lives of the protagonist. And that deeply resonates with me because as a minister, you know, I... I would pastor people who would move in, in and out of the church. You know, you would you would get very close to someone, knowing that that relationship would probably fade over time because they would move on, and sometimes very hurtfully. You know, in, in ways you didn't understand as a minister, and um, that was just part of life: is that people would move in and out of your life in very intimate ways, and also part of my life because I would move from church to church. I didn't do that a lot. I pastored three churches over twenty years. Um, you know, which compared to some is not a lot. Compared to others, it might might seem like a lot. But I did that, and I I knew when I came into a church that I would eventually move on from that church. And so you, you this was kind of what I did. This is a role I filled in life, and it's something I resonate when I see the wizards build these connections with the characters, but they move in and out of life, you know. Um, so, you know, and, and I was a fixer, too. Like, I would come to churches, and I would kind of fix. And, of course, churches... Churches fixed me as much as I fixed them. I don't want to sound like you know, I was the savior of these churches, but churches that were in trouble was was my niche. I would come into these churches, and that's what I did. And then I would I would come in, do do the thing, and then I would move on. So that's kind of like Mary Poppins, who is another one of my favorite wizards. You know, and that's the nature of of wizardry. Mary Poppins moves into the moves into the life of the family, um, helps them find their magic, and then she's out again. Uh, Nanny McPhee also. Is, a, is an archetype for that as well. So that character archetype of the wizard has always fascinated me for those reasons. I, I deeply resonate with them um, because it's how I'm built. It's kind of the way my life has went. And even as a child, I just always resonated with the wizards. So uh, I have psychotherapy once a week with a Jungian analyst. And... Um, when I started uh, therapy with him, I, I shared with him the false start of the Uncensored Wizard, Wizard Project and, um, you know, was processing my feelings around it because like, you know, many of you know, I started this two years ago, but it really didn't get going. I just wasn't consistent with it. And I was telling him about this idea I had to do Uncensored Wizard and my therapist is like, he didn't hear anything else. The only thing he heard immediately was uh, the word wizard. And... He started asking me lots of questions about why I used the term wizard. And these are questions I eagerly answered, obviously, um, because, you know, I drew from literature what I just shared with you guys, uh, you know, and which is really what I was doing at the time more than anything, which is really seeing the archetype in literature in, in fresh and new age, new ways. And, um, and two, I was navigating some tricky intersections in life at the time. And so, you know, I, that was my answer to that. I had also at that time been processing a lot of dreams with my therapist because in Jungian psychotherapy, you do dream work. And so um, I was processing some dreams with my therapist and I had not noticed it 
because I have recurring dreams, and one of the recurring dreams I have is that I'm in some sort of uh, um, entertainment venue, and I'm either the one performing or I'm trying to get people to the performance. So for me, the dream has always been about me either performing or getting someone to the performance, and there's always some issue that's stopping me from performing well or from getting people to the performance in time, that kind of thing. And so... um, what what I didn't notice in that story, because I'm so caught up in my role in the, in the dream, I mean, is that the performers were often magicians. Sometimes I was the magician, and then other times it was a magician on stage. And so a lot of my dreams feature a magician. Sometimes I'm the magician, other times I'm not. Now, at the time, when I'm working through all this with my therapist, I am in- intentionally avoiding any Jungian... Um, research online. I don't want to look up anything by Carl Jung because I really want the psychotherapy to follow its natural process. I don't. I didn't want to find anything out and then it affect the way that I'm doing therapy. So I didn't realize at the time. I do now because my therapist and I have worked on it. I did not realize at the time that the wizard is one of the twelve Jungian archetypes, which are basically twelve personality patterns that we see idealized in characters and in cultures across. You know, all cultures and all times, typically. So the wizard is one of the 12 Jungian archetypes. And it turns out, working, working with my psychoanalyst and just reading the material, that um, there are two archetypes that really, uh, that I identify with, that I feel like are my archetypes. The wizard, obviously, and then the jester, the joker, coming in second, the trickster. And this would explain my fascination with Orko, because in the filmation series of Masters of the Universe at that time, at the time I was a kid, Orko functioned as both a wizard and a jester in King Rander's court. He was a wizard, but he wasn't a great wizard, uh, and even in his wizardry there was an element of trickster to it. So he was a wizard and a jester. He was the, he was the comedy in the story. And that's something I resonate with. I like... Um, I definitely identify with that role of being the trickster, of being the comedian. Uh, sometimes it's very you might you might not think of me in that way because I, in business and in life, I do present very serious. Um, but as an archetype, there is there is this personality about me that's very playful, and um, and very trickster. So that's where the idea from from uncensored wizard came from. This is me. Uh, this is me. And that's the mission I'm on, is to just be me, raw and unfiltered, trying to find my truest and highest self by leaning into who I am and the things that I love. And I want to share that journey with you. You know, for years I had an outlet every week in preaching, you know, I could formulate ideas and I was able to explore some things and then bring that to an audience. And it was very fulfilling to me and it it was definitely an outlet that, that I enjoy and that I feel like can be mutually beneficial and that was mutually beneficial and I was able to share my life in that way in that very mutually beneficial way for many years and I really miss that outlet I need that outlet and I'm confident that you're here listening especially if you've listened this long um, you're here because there's something valuable and helpful that you think I, I might can offer you and I'm sure there's something helpful and valuable that you can offer me So welcome to Uncensored Wizard. It means a lot to me that you're here. It does. And if things go as planned, you're going to hear me uh, talk about things on a regular basis. 
and I'm going to be talking about all sorts of things. So buckle up, hang on, let's do this.